So have you, wife, have you said, okay, I'm going to make this a project. This is going to be something I'm going to talk to the Lord about every single day. It's huge. It's overwhelming. I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to wait until you tell me what to do. Welcome to You and Me and Jesus, a Christian marriage podcast. Welcome back to You and Me and Jesus. This is Mindy. And I'm Carrie. We're glad to be back with you today. Yes, we are glad to be able to share what's on our hearts today. We we wanted to talk about submission. It's a wonderful topic, but it's also a very hard one to understand sometimes. And we wanted to give you all a word picture of what might help you to think of what submission is like in a marriage and just as a Christian also. Imagine that you are a violin player and you are trying out for the symphony in your town. So that means you would be a very good violin player. Yes. Very talented, very skilled. And by the way, I've never played the violin. My grandmother did, but okay, I don't even know at all anything about it. I didn't know that about your grandmother. That's new, yeah. new things you learn every day. Yeah. And so you're so excited. You try out and you get first chair. And for those of you who have not been in an orchestra or band or something like that, first chair is like the leader of that section. They're the one who is chosen by the conductor in this case as the best violin player in the whole orchestra. Yeah. So you're excited. You are a part of the symphony now, your first chair violin. And when you think about a person going into that role, they have this attitude of, okay, therefore... I'm going to go to practices and I'm going to follow the conductor and do what he tells me to do. I'm going to practice what he tells me to practice. I'm going to play the way he tells me to play. And their attitude is one of submission to their conductor. Yeah, which really is an amazing thing because think about this. You are the professional violinist. The conductor probably is not. Most conductors don't play all the instruments, never have. They probably are specializing in one particular instrument, and yet they're the one who's in charge of the whole thing. And so you, as a tremendous violinist, still have to submit to this other person. Yeah, and the beauty of your submission is that the whole symphony becomes a beautiful sound because you're doing exactly what the conductor leads you to do. And so when you have performances, it's a beautiful performance because you have submitted, you have followed the quote-unquote rules of your role. Yeah, that's very good. And imagine what would happen in that scenario if each of, let's just say, the first chair players in every section, the first chair trumpet, the first chair violinist, the first chair percussionist, if they all had an attitude of, you can't tell me what to do. I know how to play my instrument better than you. And that was happening throughout the orchestra as rehearsals are going on and as performances are being attempted. What's going to happen in that sort of a situation? There wouldn't be harmony. There would not be beautiful sounds coming out. There would be definite disunity of the whole group. Yeah, there would probably be elements within the group playing that stand out too much. You know, a trumpet player trying to be the star of the show, etc. Mm-hmm. Playing louder than the conductor would want them to play in a certain area, that sort of thing. Yeah. 
And because of that non-submissive attitude, it actually would make the first chair violinist sound bad because they're not going with the instruction of the conductor. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were sitting in the audience and you heard that first chair violin playing beautifully, but playing far too loud. Your comments are not going to be, that violinist is so skilled and talented. Your, your comments are going to be, that violinist is too loud. And it doesn't fit with the rest of the music going on or, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Now, the reason that we want to bring up this particular illustration is because it does a fairly good job at communicating what submission really is. It doesn't speak at all to value of the person who's in the submissive role. It doesn't speak at all to their skill level or lack of skill level. It just speaks to the role they're intended to play. And this is something that often is a very contentious subject when it comes to husbands and wives, because the Bible clearly teaches, both in Colossians chapter 3 and in Ephesians chapter 5, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's Colossians 3.18. Okay, so that in the context of what we just described, there's nothing ambiguous about what I just read. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Anything confusing about that? There shouldn't be. <laughs> no, there shouldn't be. I think where the confusion comes at times is when people begin to dig into that word submission. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. What does that really mean? Because there's a fear that I think we all feel when we are put into a role of submission beneath someone else. And let's leave God out of the picture for a moment. We're going to get to that. But any human being we have to submit to, there's a justifiable level of fear because you're putting yourself under the authority of someone else who you know is a sinner, who you know is flawed, you know is going to make mistakes. There's a, a justified fear there. Yeah, and there's also a sense of us wanting to be able to respect that authority, that they're worthy of our submission. Many times people will choose churches based on if they think the pastor is worthy of their submitting to their leadership. Hmm. And this could happen in the business place. This could happen in sports teams, coaches, you know. We look to the person that we're supposed to submit to and we say, do they deserve my submission? And I think that's the natural human tendency to do that because, you know, if they're a bad character, they are hypocritical, they tell you one thing, but they do another, you're not going to want to submit to that. Yeah, absolutely. But we need to remind ourselves that God, the Heavenly Father who has loved us and sent His Son to die for us, who is completely good and perfect and holy, there's no doubt at all that He is worthy of our submission. He's worthy of all praise and glory and honor. So we're starting in a good place. And so when that, that Bible verse you read says, submit as is fitting to the Lord, well, absolutely, that's our starting place. We want to do everything that's fitting to Him. And us submitting to Him and obeying Him is exactly what His desire is. Right. So what I hear you saying is, if a wife truly wants to submit to God as is fitting and as is appropriate, then she should obey what He says when He says, submit to your husband. Right, with no questions asked, because she trusts God. There's the kicker. I think that's really at the bottom of this whole issue. God has placed her in the relationship she's in. God has given her this role of 
submission to the authority of the leadership, the spiritual headship of her husband. She needs to trust God, even if she doesn't trust her husband very much. Right. Or if he's not very trustworthy. Let's put it that way. Right. So what would a submissive mindset of a wife look like? I think that's a good question to ask. Yeah, I think so too. Well, I think it starts where we just left off with trusting God. She has to have her heart and her mind aligned with his desire for her relationship with her husband. And his desire is for her husband to serve as the head who loves her sacrificially, who lives with her in an understanding way, who is not harsh with her. And her role is to submit to that. Now, we have to be careful here because... Submit to what? Her husband's role as head. Okay. Yeah, and that's why we have to be careful. Because what I'm not saying and what I don't believe the scripture says is, wife, submit to your husband as long as he's fulfilling his role the way God describes it. That's not what God's saying. He gives the husband instruction independent of the wife. He gives the wife instruction independent of the husband. Right. And I think one way to think about that is, I know in marriages many times, the wife wants her husband to be a spiritual leader. She wants him to be a loving father and a loving husband. And she's happy for him to be the head. But let's say she talks to him about it and gives him suggestions, or she's just silently hoping and praying that he will do one thing or another that he would need to do as a godly husband in his role as head. But she finds out he's not doing it. She's continually being frustrated. And sometimes I see wives just say, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. Mm, so they just kind of take over right. in that area. Right. And so that's not having a submissive attitude towards her husband in his role. There's more that can be done before she gets to the point where she takes over. And her taking over, I don't think, is the answer ever. But has she given it to the Lord in prayer? Has she committed to pray that the Lord will open her husband's heart and humble him and give him desire to do what's right? Has she talked to her husband? Has she been flat out open and exhortive to him and said things like, husband, I love you so much, but it breaks my heart that you are not loving our children well. You're hurting them. And I hate that you're doing that. You're not being a good example of a godly father. You're not leading our family well by getting drunk in front of them, for example. Yeah. (laughs) Or going off and being so angry and having this temper tantrum, throwing things around. I mean, whatever it might be, if it has to do even with relationship with you as a wife, you know, you're, you're not treating me well in this way or that way. And I love you and I want to see you treat me rightly because that's what God wants. This is what he's called you to do. There's times when we need to just say it like it is to our husbands. That's exhortation. And exhortation is encouraging someone to do what is right when they are doing wrong. And it's not easy for many people to do that. It's a scary thing. Yeah, because you don't know what the response is going to be. Or maybe you know exactly what the response is going to be. And that's what puts the fear in you. Right. And that's why I would encourage you wives to start with prayer. Yeah. Because God will do the work in your husband's heart, and he might tell you to wait. He wants to soften your husband's heart. But our guideline as wives is not, this should be happening within our home, and my husband's failing, so I'm going to get the job done. 
our guideline, our thinking in our mind should be, I am the wife, I am the helper, God has called me to submit to my husband's role as head, so I will stay within those boundaries, and I will live in obedience to God, and He will show me how to work through these problems in our family, in our marriage, in His way, not in my way of taking over. Yeah, that's very good. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to trust Him. So let's pause for a moment just to clarify where we're at in this conversation, because I heard you say a wife who is tempted to take over should, number one, pray. That's the first step. Spend time praying about this. And then number two, talk to her husband in an exhortive way if needed, bringing up the subject, trying to compel him through your persuasion, not your nagging, not your berating, not you know, not all those negative things, but through your loving persuasion to do what's right. So we've already kind of talked about that second piece quite a bit. I want to go back and talk about the prayer because we as believers say, and we have bumper stickers that say, prayer changes things. <laughs> but do we really believe that? I mean, when Mindy just said to you, wife, who's listening, who is in a very hard situation, when she just said, you should start with prayer, do you find yourself internally kind of just rolling your eyes going, oh, that's real helpful or or that's not very much? Or do you recognize prayer is calling upon the creator of the universe to come to your aid and to do what only he can do, which is the changing of a human heart and the, the altering of a human perspective? That's what prayer is. I'm so glad you're focusing on that because there's times when you and I have talked about areas in our life, situation, whatever it may be, where it's this ongoing problem and we realize we haven't made a prayer project out of it. Yeah. And so we commit to praying together every day about it. So have you, wife, who's listening, who's struggling with some areas in their marriage, in their home, have you said, okay, I'm going to make this a project. This is going to be something I'm going to talk to the Lord about every single day. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to start out with that because the beautiful thing about it is that it puts us in a posture of complete dependence on the Lord. We're, it's like we're kneeling before Him saying, okay, God, I've given you this burden. I've brought it to you. It's huge. It's overwhelming. I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to wait until you tell me what to do. And this is what I'm asking. You tell me to ask, so I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask for you to change my husband's heart. I'm going to ask that you'll soften him. You'll humble him. I'm going to ask that you'll give me wisdom, you know, whatever other scenarios or things you want to be asking, but don't become lazy in prayer. See it as the most important thing that you need to do. And I would say a part of that is not letting yourself become discouraged in prayer. Because I'll be the first to admit, there are seasons of prayer at times that feel like your words are just hitting the ceiling and coming right back down. You don't feel any sense of movement. You don't see God doing any work. You feel like it's kind of in vain. But we've got to realize that when we're praying, especially in a project form like you're describing, where we're, we're intensely praying again and again and again, we are exercising our faith. And think about exercise. It is strengthening your faith. You should be setting your mind on who God is, not on what the obstacle is. 
setting your mind on the outcome only he can produce, not the situation you're dealing with right now. It would be good when you find that you're getting discouraged to find verses in Scripture that talk about God's character and who He is, because that's what you need to remind yourself of. There's a prayer project that Carrie and I are having right now where we're praying daily for our our middle daughter to find her husband. And there's days when I just, I kind of feel discouraged. I'm just like, you know, Lord, this is taking so long. And But right away, God reminds me of who He is. He says, Mindy, don't get discouraged. I am an all-loving, perfect and holy God. I love your daughter. You can trust me. I'm in control. And those truths that I know from Scripture perk me back up again. Okay, I'm going to keep on praying in faith. And so those times when you're discouraged about your husband, you're discouraged that he's not leading you well, he's not respectable in your mind, go to prayer and say, God, you are a good God. You love me. You love my husband. And you're going to answer my prayers. I know you are because I'm praying your will. Yeah, that's very good. I would suggest too that wives who are hearing this and realizing, yes, I need to be more concerted in my prayer, you might be helped also by just praying scripture. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, and read through, journal along with it if, you, if it's helpful to you, the characteristics that God assigns to a godly husband. Read through those. Understand what they are. Imagine what they might look like in your marriage, and begin praying God will do that in your husband's life. It'll give your husband a vision for that. Because I often go back to this. First John tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, We know that he hears us, and then if we know that he hears us, we know that he is going to give us what we're asking for. And so, if we are praying God's instruction for a husband, for that husband, are we praying God's will? Absolutely. Yeah, so we know God's hearing that. We know He's his heart is tugged, so to speak, by that. And that he's going to move. He's going to answer. We can't dictate the time frame. We can't predict that, but we definitely can be confident that if we are praying this, God is going to move. That gets me excited because when we think of the other verse that talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God, we're talking about how to walk by faith. And so when you're doing that, you are pleasing God and he will answer. He will delight in your prayers because that's what he's wanting His process that we're wanting to go through is one of learning surrender and submission. It's not that our desires get met left and right. That's not his main goal. His main goal is that we have come to a place of surrender and humility because God wants us to abide in him. Abiding is surrendering. Something I thought about regarding submission that I think is relating to the last episode about respect, respecting our husbands. I think when we show respect for our husbands and their role as the head, that is a huge indication that we're submitting to them and their role as to the Lord. We're accepting it. I think many times women set up their marriage for struggle and sadness and even failure because they have not kept within the bounds of obeying the Lord and respecting their husband. And I'm talking in little things, just a little comment here and there, uh, or even a roll of the eyes 
in regards to something that their husband might do or say, or sarcastically joking about what they might do. And I think many wives damage the potential of a good marriage when they disrespect their husbands to their moms, their dads, their friends, their sisters. How many times do you hear a group of women getting together and complaining about their husbands? And it's sad when it's a group of Christian women and they talk about their husbands, that they did this and that, and it always bothers me. He keeps doing this. I think sometimes God might just be saying, okay, I've asked you to respect your husband and you're not. I'm going to allow just the consequences of that just to flow. And we don't realize how it is handicapping our marriage from having the success we desperately desire. So for a woman, respecting her husband is one of the ways she submits to him. And submitting to him is one of the ways she respects him. That's right. So if you, wife, are not sure if you're submitting well to your husband, make sure you're respecting him. Make sure your words are respectful. Make sure you're being respectful about him when you talk about him to other people. Then you can be sure that you are submitting to him and his role before the Lord and the Lord is pleased. Yeah, that's really good. Now, some things that have just kept coming back to my mind as we've been talking about this are, first off, I've had people ask the question throughout the course of my experience as a pastor. Well, if it comes down to a decision, a big decision, say moving or job change or something like that, buying a house that we just can't agree on, who makes the final call? Does the husband being the head mean he gets to make the final call? What would you say to that? I would say the wife who is wanting to be obedient to the Lord, she will submit to her husband's decision out of trust to the Lord. So she may not like the decision. She doesn't have to like the decision necessarily that he's coming up with. Right. But out of reverence for the Lord, she will submit and say, okay, I'll support you in it. Let's do it. Right. But that's after they've had conversation about it. That's after she's been able to share her thoughts about it. But if he's just still not thinking the same way because truly he has good reason to, or maybe he's being disobedient to the Lord and stubborn and prideful and he doesn't want to give in to his wife one more time, whatever the reasons, it doesn't matter She's called to obey the Lord through submission. Hmm. Well, I like the way you described that because it seems that sometimes wives justify a lack of submission or a lack of respect for their husband based on how smart they think his decision is or how godly it is or whether it's wise. And that's not the criteria by which a woman is to submit. Right. She's to submit because God said, submit to your husband's authority. Right. And it makes me think of how important the fear of the Lord is. Mm. What's going to keep the wife in those boundaries? Well, it's because she's fearing the Lord. And she's saying, no matter what, no matter, like Job said, although God slays me, I will still trust him. There's times in our lives as wives where we're feeling everything is going against us. God has slain us. It's the worst of the worst. But we need to be able to come to the point of saying, even if God kills me or cuts off my hand or whatever, I will still trust him. I will still obey him because it's about God's plan. 
period. And we're not going to see beyond the tragedy that's going on. We're not going to see beyond our pain. We're not supposed to see beyond our pain. God sees it and he has a plan. Mm. I think of the verses in Romans that talk about a hard attitude that we need to have sometimes as believers. Paul speaks about us being either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. Yeah, that's Romans 15, 17, 18, 19. He says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So we are set free from sin, praise the Lord, because Christ died for us, and we are a new creation. We don't have to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness because Christ is living in us and through us, and that is the life He wants to live through us. So there are times when things are so hard in our marriage where it does feel like slavery, but we can take joy in that. We can say, God, I'm going to take joy in the fact that I am obeying you even though it feels miserable even though it's so hard but i can rejoice in the fact that i know you're smiling at me up there in heaven i know you're delighting in my obedience and i know blessing will come i know for me at times having that mindset is helpful because i'm always wanting to find a way out i'm always wanting to find that relief somehow and if i get hung up on thinking that desire for comfort or relief is my ultimate goal, then I'm going to miss God's ultimate goal for me, which is His glory in the end. Which flows out of your obedience. Right. Yeah. I like what Paul says in verse 19. He says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So he's talking about the spiral of sin. How we give in to a sin and it just gets worse and worse and worse because one leads to another. He says, so, just as you used to do that, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, which is that blessing you're talking about. It's the maturity and the growth and all the things that we're supposed to be doing as Christians. So, wives, as an encouragement to you, focus on what your role is as wife, mother, helper, and ask the Lord to just expand your mind in the knowledge of what that role is, what your roles entail, and seek to flourish in those roles. And I encourage you to take joy in being the greatest support and help to your husband in his role. Don't try to take his role. It's like that violin in the symphony that's trying to do their own thing. The performance in the end is not going to be a beautiful thing. So delight in what God's plan is for you and submit to his will and submit to your husband's role to bring the greatest joy that you are actually hoping for and desiring for in your marriage. I think that's a very wise counsel for women to heed. And before we move into prayer for our listeners about this subject, I want to ask you a question about one other thing that I suspect has to be in the minds of some people who are listening. If a woman is in a situation where it is truly abusive, physically, emotionally, toward her, toward her children, that kind of thing, is scripture saying, stay there and take it? 
out of a desire to submit to your husband. Leave your children in harm's way out of a desire to submit to your husband. How does wisdom inform our application of this? I think God's wisdom would definitely guide us to move ourselves out of that situation so that more harm does not happen, but still upholding the hope and the desire you have for your husband's role. So let me pause there for a moment. When you say move yourself out of that situation, are you talking about physically, if need be? If need be. Moving in with your parents, your sister, whoever, to get out of harm's way, practically speaking. Right, right. And there's no shame in that. That's a wise thing to do. Just like Paul talks about the person in the church who is caught in sin to go to them and confront them. And if they don't repent, then don't associate with them. So there's a mindset and there's a health in separating from the sinful person Okay. so that they will have a healthy shame and hopefully come to repentance. Okay, great. I love that clarification. So you said to do that, but still with a mindset towards submission. What do you mean by that? Well, just like what I said about what Paul said, so that they will be healthily shamed and want to repent and come back to the body of Christ. Same kind of thing. What you could say to your husband is, I love you and it grieves me that you're behaving this way. I want you to be the head of our home. I want you to be the spiritual leader of our family. But because you're choosing to disobey and be abusive and mistreat us, we need to leave. I mean, there's so many scenarios there. You might have to write it in a letter because you might have to sneak away. I mean, we have no idea what kind of pain some of you listeners are going through, but you're still in hope that they will come around through repentance and be the godly man that you are praying for them to be. It's not that you're saying, I'm done, this is over, I'm finished with marriage, I'm finished with men. It's not that. You're hoping that God's going to do a renewing work in your husband, and you're going to be continuing to pray in that direction. Yeah. But you're being wise by getting out of the situation. Yeah, that's very good. I appreciate the way you described that because I have long felt that it is a more honoring thing to God to separate and remain married with hopes of restoration than to just throw in the towel and divorce, no matter what the offense is. I feel like even if that separation went on the entire rest of your life, that's more honoring to God because you're holding out hope. You're having faith. You're trusting him to do the kind of thing he does, which is parting red seas and moving mountains and burning bushes and all the miracles God can do. He can do those in the human heart too. Yeah. I just love that because it goes back to our walking by faith. Jesus talks about having faith as a mustard seed. And I really believe God wants us to fight to have faith, pray those big prayers, to ask the Lord, help me not to give up. I want to see you do great things. I think that God would want us in our marriages to pray those prayers more and knowing how marriages are falling apart all over the place within the church. I think this would be a good encouragement and a good challenge to those of you who are listening out there to be determined, no, no, I'm not going to let the enemy get another marriage. I'm not going to let him get our marriage. I'm going to fight because God is big enough. God can do great things. And it just makes me mindful of part of the dynamic that we're speaking to here is 
how human nature is to want to change the circumstance when discomfort and suffering are going on. Nothing wrong with wanting to change it, but when that becomes our primary motivation, we suddenly are no longer submitting to God. We're submitting to our feeling of comfort or safety or whatever. And please understand, I'm not trying to diminish the significance of what some women have to go through. I totally understand that. But I think even beyond our pain and our discomfort and all the tragedy that that is, there's a God who deserves our honor. And he deserves us being faithful to him, mm-hmm. even if it means we suffer. I mean, think about Jesus who suffered to honor the Father for the sake of his grand plan. He's our example. He's the one we follow. And so as we wrap up, maybe I should just say a little disclaimer here. We recognize there are thousands of scenarios <laughs> that this topic touches on. And you may be in one of them, and we didn't address specifically how this applies to you. We just encourage you, take it to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to guide you. He knows your scenario, and he knows his plan. And so you can trust him to help you in your circumstance. Why don't we wrap up with prayer? Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it conveys to us. It's hard sometimes to get our hearts around what that truth means for us when our circumstance is so hard and so confusing and has been going on for a long, long time. And so we just ask for an overflowing amount of your grace for women who are in scenarios like that and just need to understand what it looks like in their setting. How should they orient their hearts? How should they direct their thoughts? How should they commit themselves to prayer? How should they take action to disrupt a cycle of sinful behavior if needed. Lord, show our dear sisters how to apply this rightly. And for the many, I'm sure, who are out there who are truly wanting to better love their husbands, and and things are pretty good right now, but they want to do this even better. Lord, inspire them and motivate them and encourage them how to be that one who encourages and respects and builds up and does so through submission in a way that affirms their husband and makes him into the man he's supposed to be, even indirectly, Lord. We're just asking you to do these things. In the name of our King, Jesus, amen. We invite you to check out all the podcasts we produce through Morning Mindset Media. There's another one that Mindy and I do together and a daily devotional podcast to get your mind aligned with the truth of God's Word. Go to morningmindsetmedia.com. Did you want to introduce the topic? I thought you were going to introduce the whole symphony thing. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead. We submit to the Lord. It's getting all confused, so forget that. Okay. I don't especially like the way that I said what I said either. Submitting to your husband is one of the ways we respect him. And respecting him is one of the ways we submit to him. Right. We, I should not say we, I'm not a wife. Okay. I like the way you said that because too often we use the reasons we feel opposed to the decision as justification for being disrespectful, unsubmissive, 
whatever. We qualify that based on how smart we think he's being. Here I am saying we again. I like the way you said that because I've seen... <laughs> I'm becoming a woman. <laughs> don't, don't, don't say that. I won't, I won't. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity again that we have to share the insights that you have taught us through our years of marriage and our walk with you. And I just ask, Father, that you will speak through us and have us only say what you want us to say, have us say the things that would be helpful to those listening. And we just trust you, Lord, to do your great work, to bring glory to your name. And thank you, Father, for your work in our lives and that we can bring glory to you telling others of your great work in us, and we humbly submit to you in your will, in Jesus' name.